Tribal Malfunctions Podcast. Tribal Malfunctions is a thrilling cyberpunk story of gangs, guns, greed, and the power of independent trucking set in 22nd century Boston. It is read and narrated by your host, Chang Tanyu. Now join us, please, as we enter into the strange world of Tribal Malfunctions. It is uh, Tribal Malfunctions Podcast coming at you loud, funky, and extra clunky. Uh, I am your host and narrator and author and reader and all the other things that uh, take place to make this happen, um, Chang Trihun. And thank you for coming uh, over on here, uh, dialing me in, downloading, uh, suiting up, and stepping in. Um, wearing the proper headgear and stuff to come and listen to this podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, regular listeners may notice, hey, I uh, heard a different kind of theme song. That's right. I updated it. Um, uh, lost some of the original files on the original song, which kind of sucks. So some of the ambience is a little different. But I kind of like how I uh, managed to poop it up and uh, pip it out, which means uh, fix it a bit. Um, I'm using all sorts of my own funky lingo, and I know it's not working, but I'm sticking with it. So anyway, episode 14, we are uh, getting deep into it and into some really funky stuff happening. Uh, If you are just tuning in with us, welcome. You're going to have to do some catching up, about 15 hours of uh, episodes, so go ahead, take that time now. Okie dokie, Vindaloo the Wonder Chicken has spoken. Time is up. Time to get rolling. So uh, you're all caught up? Good. Glad to hear it. I figured you would be able to. Um, Please note, as always, there is cussing in this podcast because in the future, people swear, and they swear a lot. Um, So uh, don't play it around kids or anybody who's overly sensitive and can't handle that shit. Uh, um, And yeah, I hope you're enjoying the story. It's starting to get really, really interesting i really dig uh where it's going now and like how it's coming out all right um so let's get into it episode 14 down here in the cracks tribal malfunction cyberpunk action in boston without lunkheads or patriots fans Travelogue 14. Spliced and confused. 
Only a hundred years ago, people lived in unimaginable fear of dying from illnesses that today barely cause a ripple in someone's life. Most cases of cancer were a death sentence. Diabetes meant a life of expensive medications or dialysis, unless you were lucky enough to receive a kidney transplant made prohibitive with the costs of drugs to keep the transplant healthy. The same went for liver, spleen, and other organ transplants. A severed limb meant therapy even with a prosthetic limb, which often was a jerky, semi-functional version of the real thing. But here in the 22nd century, we live on a daily basis with medical advances that only a generation or two ago would seem miraculous. Organs can be healed, regenerated, or wholly grown in a matter of days or weeks. Prosthetics are almost indistinguishable from the original flesh and blood limb. Cancer treatment offers a 91% success rate on average, while diabetes is easily reversible. However, some say these medical advances have been abused. There are those who have taken the ease of genetic manipulation too far by enhancing their God-given attributes or augmenting them to the point of superhuman or even monstrous abilities. How often do we hear of someone spending all their money to have the skin of a reptile, the physique of a cartoon superhero, or the appearance of an alien? Tonight on An Eye to the Future Through a Lens into the Past, We'll look at historic remedies and solutions to terminal diseases and conditions. From there, we'll see our present responses to those same diseases and take a closer look at those pushing the boundaries of scientific miracles. Jacques Marchand, host of the Historic Channel's Eye to the Future Through a Lens into the Past, broadcast between 2086 and 2110. Chapter 14, Down Here in the Cracks A few days later, Aris concocted an excuse about a missing permit required by City Hall. Manea bought it, and he left the garage in under ten minutes. Aris took a cab to an address over in Cambridge that Yuki texted to him. The cab stopped at an old building outside the bounds of the MIT campus. A sign on the front read Boldman Labs in green copper letters. From what Aris could tell by the lobby marquee, the building was home to several companies as well as single offices for rent by the hour, complete with teleconferencing systems and secure net linkups. Aris paid the cab, ran into the building, and rented a room from the kiosk at the front desk. A lit path led him to Suite 732 a nondescript room equipped with a conference table, water cooler, an info deck, and a blank projection wall. As Aris gulped down a second cup of water, his phone rang. Yeah, he said, after coughing up the water. 
Jesus, you okay? Said Yuki. Yeah, just a little nervous. Okay, she said. But you're safe. Yeah, said Aris. I hope so. Good. Go to the deck and type in this address, she said. As Aris typed, the wall formed into a screen. He watched words scroll by fast, then flickering twice, before a holographic Yuki appeared next to him. This the best we can do, she said. The hologram was strong and clean, best he'd seen in a while. Really? Okay. Lower those shades. Aris pressed a button on the wall, and the shades lowered with a whisper. The screen glowed bright as Yuki looked off to her left. No, not good enough, she said. This won't do. You'd think the home of technology could do better than this shit. Okay, hang on. The transmission shimmered slightly for a second. What did you do? said Aris. The room's not very secure. I added some more encryption and closed it off so only my data can come in. Everything else is shut out, and that should help. What have you got? said Aris. Yuki gestured, and the screen filled with coded text alongside auto-hauler diagnostic screens. Well, I had to let 4291 run with a hidden tracer a couple times, just to be sure, she said. A map of the United States appeared with the Wormway overlaid on it. Major conduits in blue, tributaries and inner city lines in yellow. So this is the Wormway in its entirety. Yeah, said Ars. I, I know what it looks like. Cut the shit, said Yuki. Listen up. First, this is the route of every stop 4291 made over the last couple of years. A series of red dots appeared along the yellow lines. Before long, they spread over the map to almost every major city and several minor ones as well. All this is from its delivery schedule, said Yuki. So far it's legit, above-board stuff. Okay, said Ars. Now, add in repair calls, said Yuki. She gestured, and a flurry of white triangles appeared near each red dot. Here to make a guess what happened here? Some kind of mechanical failure near each one of those cities, said Ars. Right. Now, if I zoom in on a couple, Yuki waved and the map zoomed in on the area around Chicago. The number of red dots remained the same while the white ones multiplied. Notice where all those are, she said. All over the city, but... See how they're concentrated? Yeah, said Aris, stepping closer to the screen. Near the entry and exit from the city. Yep, said Yuki. Pretty evenly spread, too. Just enough to make you ignore it, but if you look long enough, you go, hmm. What about other hauler breakdowns, said Aris. I thought of that, said Yuki, smiling. Another gesture brought a series of purple dots with numbers hovering above them. These are total vehicle breakdowns over one year. Uh, 4291's breakdown rate is 10 times as high, said Aris said Aris, counting the number of white dots. You'd think the NTSB would ground it. For one little hauler of a tiny company? They've got their hands full, said Yuki. There are over a hundred thousand haulers on the rails at any given moment. 
Of those, several companies are under investigation and surveillance for illegal cargo, human and necro-trafficking, and a bunch of other stuff. Homeland Services is spread thin across those cases and don't have a lot of time, money, or manpower to spare. There's only so much an AI can decipher before a human has to look at all that data and make a decision. So our weird little crappy hauler does not merit an investigation. Unless you're me or you. Besides, it's always past inspections and mechanics tune-ups, so there's no red flags for that. Yeah, said Aris absently. It's always cleared at the Holy Roller. Okay, so it's breaking down a lot, so what? You and I know it's weird, but how does this lead to Cho blowing up the Wormway? I'm getting there. Yuki waved at the screen, and the dots vanished. 4291's route is pretty standard, logistically speaking. An off-the-shelf route calculating program makes the best use of energy, time, proximity to different drop-offs, etc. But given your discovery of the guns, I looked at the route for any patterns or peculiarities. Then I got a little creative, started thinking outside the box. Yeah, yeah, good for you, said Aris. Look, I'm a get-to-the-punchline kind of guy, so... Oh, how sad for your wife, then, said Yuki. He frowned at her, and she laughed. I'm kidding. Okay, I won't get too abstract on you, then. Looking at dates and times of breakdowns, I've nailed it down to this. 4291's breakdowns most often occur after returning from Asian or free Canadian rail space. Aris was quiet for a few moments, looking at the map on screen, pitting her words against what he saw. But what could... but... Okay, but that could be due to rail conditions, he finally said. Devil's advocate, said Yuki. Okay, go on. Well, for starters, the Asian corridor is pretty bad in places. Repair standards aren't as high, inspections are neglected, or just bought off. The Chinese corridor from Shanghai to Tianjin was built fast. Then it has inadequate earthquake protection in the places that need it the most, like Chengdu, Xi'an, and Xinjiang. Corrupt Chinese construction firms did most of the work in and around the Asian route, so it's bound to be shitty in a lot of places, especially around the SoCo blockade perimeter. Free Canada's not so hot either. No one likes them, especially the Scandinavian Atlantic Treaty Organization. Yuki frowned. But you said there might be someone at the Canadian border allowing it to pass through undetected and uninspected. True, said Aris. Okay, so let's look at the data, said Yuki. A graph appeared. Aris read access titles like number of vehicles and rate of incidents and looked at the numbers, plots, and signs. He squinted and parsed it out, then sighed. Ugh, I was never so hot at math stuff, but okay, so this is saying... Yuki snickered. <laughs> Let me spare you the aneurysm. What you see here is further proof that 4291 has ten times the normal rate of accidents than all the haulers owned by all the freight hauling companies combined. And all of 4291's accidents are happening on either side of the wormway as it threads through its city. Yuki paused to swallow a handful of pills, then chased them down with a few gulps of water. You care to guess why? Aris pondered this. Well, those guns were in Soko crates, he finally said. So we can assume guns are coming in from there. Which makes sense, 
because it's hard to get untraced 3D patterns for them, and the fines are so steep. But then, what goes into SoCo? Well, guess what comes out of Free Canada, said Yuki. Not much, said ours. There's embargoes for just about everything. Think illegal stuff, said Yuki, folding her thin arms across her chest. Ara scratched his chin. After a few seconds, Yuki growled and pressed her hands to her face. Ugh, seriously? Can't think of anything? How about precious metals? Machine parts? Petrochemicals? Abundant national resources? Hint, hint. What? said Ars. They make, like, like, bombs? Yes, said Yuki. She flinched, and a scanned report came on the screen. Aris read it silently while moving his lips. This is an inspection report from six months ago, when 4291 left Ottawa en route to Toronto. Automatic scan was triggered at a garage west of Sudbury, when they detected something funny in the cargo bay. RMCP said Free Canada claimed it was caused by a chemical spill. The amounts were minuscule, but they add up to something pretty explosive, if you mix it right. Okay, said Aris. Still not totally solid proof. Oh, for a guy who likes to go straight for the jugular, you gotta be led to it by hand, huh? He flipped her a middle finger, and she smiled. Okay then, how about this? On a spreadsheet, over a dozen more reports appeared, caustic elements highlighted in glowing red. This is just its North American route. It's enough to trip sensors, but not too frequent to trigger an investigation into Yuki Corp. We're a small operation with one hauler, not a big fish like North Corps or Cargo West. Homeland Services and the NTSB task forces concentrate on quantity, not frequency. Aris began to feel queasy as he formulated the next question in his head. So what if you plot those alerts against repair shops? What do you get? And you say you're not good at math stuff? Yuki snapped both fingers and winced. She sat down as the map flickered, white and purple dots popping up all over. Aris watched until they finished. Shit. The two overlapped perfectly. Lilac points blinked all over the United States for the scanner alerts, all in close proximity to the white lights of repair shops. He sat down hard against the edge of the table. Exactly what I said, replied Yuki. Now do you see it? Yeah, said Aris. I see it. A cold sweat broke out, and he wiped his forehead with a napkin from the table, then took a few moments to process it before he stood slowly shaking. Okay, uh, that sucks. Yeah, kinda, said Yuki. The question is, said Ars, what kind of explosives are we talking about? Yuki shrugged. Hard to say. Chemicals in that combination could make a couple different things, but thermite or dynamite are the most likely. Some of those chemical traces are from insulation agents used to keep them separated also from metals used to house the stuff. Bombs, said Aris. Mm, something like a pipe bomb, plastic explosives, like C4, or worse. Jesus, said Aris. So we think they're using your hauler to place these explosives in tunnels all around the country. 
Probably, said Yuki. Can't imagine what else they're up to. Fuck, Horace said. Oh, okay, but then what? How do they get from the hall or to the tunnels? No idea, said Yuki. Haven't figured that out yet. The brain pan, Horace said after a moment. What about it, said Yuki. Oh, the... The sheet, said Horace. He thought of Choi, pointing at the torn golden sheet in 4291's drive brain. Something's happening during those breakdowns, but it's not long enough to get much done. Not necessarily, said Yuki. The logs have been altered. They're patched like bits of time have been cut out. How much time? Hard to say, said Yuki. But for argument's sake, let's say long enough to get something off a hauler, down in the tunnels, then get it back on the rail. Can't be too long, said Aris, rubbing at his chin, then his scalp. The shutdown alarm is triggered if a hauler stops for more than five minutes. Even if they get diverted off to a service bay. Oh. Yuki stared at him. That's it, said Aris. Somehow, they're stopping your hauler at emergency service bays, unloading it fast, then rough wiping the memory. The hauler registers an error or malfunction, then heads to the nearest service center. Yuki nodded, looking up at the data. Could be, she said. Unloading it how, though? I don't know. Something that's down there. Service robots, probably. Why don't you put a camera inside it, said Aris. See what's happening in the cargo bay. Yuki shook her head. Tried that once before, she said. The tracker I used is hidden in the software, but the time I tried to sneak a camera on board, Cho nearly beat me to death. Now whoever's tampering with it is also sweeping the cargo hold for bugs. Audio and video. So no go. Aris sat down, shaking his head. Fuck, he said. Wonder how he's doing it. The look on Yuki's face made Aris lean forward until he was a few feet from the hologram. What, he said. What's... I think I might know how he's doing it, she said. Her voice barely above a whisper. How? Yuki took a deep breath and let it out in a fast rush, as if she were vomiting air. Cho's made me write some programs. Just a few things, she said. Installed them in the hauler. But others wouldn't necessarily work in a hauler. Or so I thought. Like what? asked Aris. Well, remote override programs, said Yuki. Something that infects and controls a hardware system over a diagnostic link or bridge. Like when a hauler might stop in and an emergency service bay, said Aris. Exactly like that, said Yuki. You didn't put those two together until now, said Aris. Smart girl like you? Fuck you, Yuki said. Her eyes blazed beneath the fall of turquoise hair. He has my family hostage, asshole. Do you know the last time I talked to my parents? Aris' embarrassment muted him. When he asked me to build a remote wiping program, I told him no. So he pulled out his tablet, showed me a live feed of my parents and my brother, then described what he'd do to them and me if I don't. It's bad enough having a monster like that vividly describe rape with clear joy. It's another to have your mother crying and beg you to give in to this monster's demands. I'm sorry, said Aris. Look, this whole thing is fucked up. I know, said Yuki. Probably more fucked than you can imagine. They said nothing for a bit each looking at the screen or at the floor. Finally, Aris stood. Uh, okay, I, I gotta go. He slipped his coat on. So where to now? Don't know, said Yuki. 
Can't do anything from here. If Joe gets a whiff of what I'm doing, he'll kill my family, then me. Whatever he's up to, he's been working on it for a while. I bet it's almost ready, though. Ready for what, said Aris. I really think he's planning to detonate explosives in the Wormway, she said. A series of carefully placed and timed explosions would be catastrophic, to say the least. Even the threat of it. It doesn't make sense, though, said Aris, shaking his head. Cho's deeply invested in the Wormway with all his shops and companies and haulers. He needs it to run smooth to keep money coming in. So why blow it up? Good point, said Yuki, nodding before she looked up. Guess he could hold it hostage then. He seems to like having hostages. Yeah, I agree, said Ars. But hostages for what? Yuki shrugged. Ars' mind was muddled now, filled with numerous loose ends he was trying to link up. We'll figure it out, kid. In the meantime, I'm going to talk to some people, said Ars. Sure you can't do anything at all? Yuki shook her head. Talking to you is dangerous enough, she said, pointing at him. He can't get to me on the tech level, but in terms of sheer violent thuggery, yeah, he can do a lot of damage. And best as a voice in your head. Shit, I got enough of those already, said Arnas. Then he laughed as he slipped his cap back on. Gonna see what my contacts can find out. Okay, she said. Just be really careful. You never know who might be working for him. I trust my guys, said Aris. Famous last words, said Yuki. But don't call me. I'll be in touch. Okay, said Aris. Her hologram disappeared, then winked off. Aris left the blank room filled with new thoughts and new worries. Around closing time, Aris told Manea he still had to sort some things out before he left. Might be late. I don't know, he said. And I ain't gonna sleep unless I know how this is all dealt with. Okay, I'll leave something out for you. She stood by his desk for a moment, then kissed him. Daddy would be proud of you. So much hard work from the son he never had. You know what? When you started working here, he thought you'd never get beyond gopher status, running for coffee or parts. Now look at you. I do what I can, said Aris, shrugging. I'll see you later, babe. After locking up, Aris took the T outbound to the all base. As he got off at the Mystic River Station, he passed a tall, thin figure in a gray hooded parka standing near a public info terminal. He walked past, and the man took a step a few paces behind him. When Aris arrived at the subterranean door of the all base, he banged hard on its surface. The spy slot opened up, and a pair of Gen 7 mooks stared back at him. Yo, man, what's said a voice behind the door. Wait a sec. Yo, who's that behind you? Aris jerked his head back at the man behind him. Gloved hands slid back to the hood to reveal Wendell's clean-shaven head. Wendell smiled and nodded. Yo, I said, who's this guy? The doorman shouted. He looks kind of K or BK to me. He's a friend, said Aris. Let us in now and save us both some trouble. Or you can explain to the all-papa why you chose to be a total fuck-up. The sunglasses disappeared as the spy door slid shut. After a few clanks, it opened. Aris and Wendell strode in. Wendell appeared to walk a few inches above the floor. The stares and quiet shifts in conversation were something Aris expected. It wasn't racist, so much as wariness of an unfamiliar face in their lair. Not every black man in the city was a member of K or BK, 
but every member of KRBK happened to be black. The two gangs' history of animosity went back well into the previous century. They found Tiny Town in his bed, looking slightly the worse for wear. Yo, who the hell's this? said Tiny Town. His breathing was slightly labored, his words slurred. You fucking bring a KBK Negro into my old base? Relax, said Aris. Wendell works for me. He knows what's going down. If I can trust him, so can you. You got them KBK marks, yo, said Tiny Town, peering over the tops of his shades. I see him. Aris turned to face the smiling Wendell and put on his shades. He watched as a halo of symbols spun slowly around the man's dark, gleaming scalp as more emerged from his eyes and threads of light. KRBK glyphs, a couple Voodoo sigils, and some tags identifying neighborhood and slogans. Seriously, Wendell? said Aris. You been flashing since we walked in? Sorry. Wendell smirked as the glyphs disappeared. Just let them all know I'm not only a pretty face. Knock it off, said Aris, turning back to Tiny Town. You okay, man? Tinytown gestured at a heavy boy standing by the wall, who got three beers from the refrigerator for them, then left the room. Be mad hectic, yo, said Tinytown. All this violence, craziness. Had to lay low. Makes it hard to get my medicines, you know what I'm saying? Hard to stay healthy. Ours didn't bother to ask which medicines were doctor-prescribed and which were recreational. Getting hairy out there, said Aris. Think it'll blow up the whole city? Why? You worried about your little white picket fence getting fucked up? Tiny Town laughed. We got kids, said Aris, waggling a finger between Wendell and himself. Wendell nodded. We worry about them. Hell, man, Tiny Town said, waving them off with a meaty hand. We all got kids. We all worry. But I can't see how this stuff is gonna pan out without more violence. I doubt anybody will just leave the CFZ. It's where all the money in action is. Aris nodded. So what's up, said Tiny Town. Why you come down here between the cracks? Had, uh, had an interesting couple of weeks, said Aris. He told about his time in New York, the conversation with Casal, and what Yuki had found out. Tiny Town listened, nodding occasionally, sipping at his beer. When Aris finished, Tiny Town lay still for a while, then inhaled sharply, nodding his head vigorously. That's all fucked up, he said. Understatement, replied Aris. Tiny Town groaned long and loud, shifting in his reclining bed. Makes sense though, right? Where this all been going, things seem out of whack, know what I mean? More than usual, likely. You got gangs fighting, splitting, and proliferating. But at the same time, you got the cops sitting back and letting them do all kinds of crimes. Normally, that's their bread and butter, yo. It's like they in on it, just kicking back like they watching a Sox game. Kimo Cho be all coy and shit, but that guy's got something planned for sure. Truly, said Wendell, nodding and lifting his beer at Tiny Town. Exactly what I was thinking. He didn't say shit except threaten you, right? Tiny Town said. Aris nodded. All right, but he behind this somehow. Hard to see, but he'd be agitating behind the scenes like a motherfucker. Yeah, said Aris. Question is, what can we do about it? We, said Tiny Town. Boy, you know war and costs. Think this all base got the money to act on anything? 
Seen us redecorating since you started visiting? Seen us rolling around in rolls, limos, and shit? Uh, no, said Aris. As it happens, KRBK is also tapped, said Wendell. Warring is hitting them so hard my brothers are scared and laying low. Ain't about to venture out and claim new territory during the chaos. Hell no, Tiny Town shouted. Hardly anybody in a position to battle. Shit, have my crew locked up in Hull. And that was a good half, too. Most of the motherfuckers I got left aren't worth two gigs of juice, you know? Even mid-level gangs and crews are feeling pinched, said Wendell. Ain't just heavy boys or K or BK. You hear that? Aris said to Tiny Town. Oh, look, yo, said Tiny Town. I ain't mad at you, my man. No, you need it, Wendell. Wendell nodded, tipping his beer at Tiny Town. Ain't got no reason to be, do I? Situation's got me mad, is all. Bad enough that fat so-called fuck beat us down first time. Now we coming after the scraps? Aris noted the irony of Tiny Town calling Cho fat, but kept it to himself. What would you do all, Papa? said Wendell. If you had the money to act, I mean. What would I do? said Tiny Town, mollified by Wendell's deference. Hunkered down like a motherfucker and waited till it all blow over, you know? Even if you were flush? Pfft, ain't the Tiny Town I know, man, said Aris. The big man flashed an angry grimace at him. No, but he's the guy wearing my boots now, you know? Tiny Town tossed his bottle at the faker bin and missed, then gestured at the fridge. Aris rose, but Wendell placed a hand on his shoulder and got the beers for them, handing the first to Tiny Town, then the other to Aris. Tiny Town nodded at Wendell and murmured, Thanks. After cracking the beer open and taking a long pull, he spoke calmly. Not sure what you can do, you know? Go to the cops? Ain't the down heavy way, but... Uh, cops are probably in on it, said Aris, shaking his head. From what you said, the cops are definitely in on it, said Wendell. Aris nodded. So say you go to Homeland Services, Tiny Town said. After they strip search and hold you for two weeks, you think they're really gonna listen to your shit? Especially after poking around in a hauler that ain't yours? No, said Aris. Glad he'd never mentioned his sister's line of work. So you send something anonymously, right? So you send something anonymously, right? Said Tiny Town. Send him a tip? Say what? Said Wendell. Call the tip line like a snitch? They'll trace that shit back and... No, said Tiny Town. Ain't saying call that bitch line. You gotta get something first. Some, uh, what do you call it? Concrete evidence. Aris nodded at this. Isn't what I got concrete... What you got right now is going to lead him straight back to you, said Tiny Town. Ara sighed. But I got an idea. Might sound crazy, but it's the only thing I think might work. Yeah, said Aris. What's that? Gotta go down, said Tiny Town. Aris frowned, uncomprehending. You gotta go down and see for yourself. Down, said Aris. Tiny Town nodded and pointed at the concrete floor. You mean, into the wormway? Tiny Town nodded emphatically and smiled, revealing a grill of gleaming silver LED teeth. Wendell laughed. You're crazy, he said. Even for a heavy boy, you're crazy. Tiny Town shrugged and drank. You know what it's like in there, said Aris. The all-papa shook his head. I know it ain't pretty, but... 
Aris put his bottle on the floor, then began to list reasons, counting them off on his fingers. First off, it's a mile underground, and it's fucking dark. Ain't nothing but emergency lights because nothing needs it. It's total vacuum and cold as shit, so the maglev works right. Why's that? said Tiny Town. You never took any science in school, said Aris. Hell no, motherfucker, said Tiny Town. I was too busy cutting or getting high. Wendell laughed again as Aris shook his head. They gotta keep it cold like that for maglev rails to be superconducting. That temperature can keep shit light, so haulers can levitate. Whatever you say, said Tiny Town. Take your word for it. You the mechanic. Uh, what he's saying is total vacuum means there's no air down there, said Wendell. Helps keep it cold, plus it reduces aerodynamic drag to almost nothing. Also, no need for air down there really at all. Haulers are self-pressurized, so it won't hurt the cargo much. So ain't no one going down there without some kind of spacesuit, said Tiny Town. Yeah, kind of, said Aris. Something to keep out the cold, but keep air in, too. Tiny Town looked at his fat suit hanging on its charge rack, then back at Aris. Something like that? Mm, almost, said Aris. But you need a helmet for one thing. Gotta be lightweight and shorter so you can move around easier. Ain't like standing and holding down a corner. Gotta be able to move and move fast. Yeah, I know what you mean, said Tiny Town. What you want is an army issue stealth suit. Pressurized and shit. Use them for, what do you call it? Aerial assaults. Armored infrared optics and HUD up in the helmet. That's right, said Aris. That's it exactly. You know someone who can get one, said Wendell. If he does get one, who's gonna go use it, said Aris, looking back at Wendell. They each sipped at their bottles until Tiny Town looked up at Aris, his eyebrows leaping up from behind his shades. You can do it. Me, said Aris. He looked back at Wendell, whose eyes were wide and incredulous. You used to be the B&E king of the all-base back in the day, said Tiny Town. Yeah, but that was 15 years ago, or more, said Aris. You're the only heavy boy B&E motherfucker in here, said Tiny Town gesturing at Aris while looking at Wendell. Yo, yo, he used to be the man. Got into all them crazy places. Used to break into those luxury stores on Newbury Street and fuck with the mannequins. Occasionally, he even stole some shit. I saw him break into a bunch of homes out in Metro West, steal some jewelry and art. Oh, and then there were those warehouses over in Charlestown. Future, uh, I mean Aris, got past armed guards and security systems like air. Open the doors so we could overpower the guards and steal a bunch of hover bikes. I mean a couple hundred cover bikes. Yo, there's more. I mean, he took some really weird shit. He used to love that. Yeah, said Aris. But I don't do that anymore. You did it in New York, didn't you? Said Wendell. Aris scowled at him. Yeah, but that was different. Not by much, Wendell laughed. What did my old man always say? Only Nixon could go to China. Who the fuck's Nixon, said Tiny Town. He's a dead president, said Aris. The old white guy on the $30 bill. Whatever, said Tiny Town. All I'm saying is you're the man best equipped for the job and shit. Fuck, said Aris. Drawing it out until he was nearly breathless. Then he pulled hard on his beard. Okay, fine. Maybe I'm a little buzzed, so I'm not going to argue too much. But let's say that I do it. You get me a suit like that? Hells yeah, said Tiny Town. You know the guy too. Yeah, said Aris. Who? 
Remember Blindside? Oh, yeah, said Horace. His dad was a general in the, in the Eastern Union back in Myanmar. Blindside used to steal shit all the time from the base when he went home. Tiny Town nodded, then pointed his beer at ours. He's your man. Got exactly what you need stashed away somewhere. Okay then, said Artis. He clinked bottles with Wendell and drank. All right, so let's get in touch. Arrange a little private military fashion show. That part, said Tiny Town, is the tough part. Why, said Artis. He got popped a while back. He down at home now doing three to five for theft, ag assault. Fuck me, said Artis. Well, you could always break in, said Wendell. What? said Ars. You heard me, said Wendell. He leaned forward and made a twisting motion with his hand. Break into a mind farm, said Ars. That shit's got top-of-the-line private security. They're exempt from a lot of the humane treatment laws. Shit, they got more weapons than the police. Plus, they got robots, too. Ain't like breaking into some mansion in Brookline. That's like taking on a whole army. Only way to get the stuff, son, said Tiny Town. Tell you what, I get you a couple of my best guys. I bet you could find a way to do it. In and out quick. What about your hacker girl? Maybe she can help? Yuki, said Ars. Yeah, maybe, but didn't you say all your best guys are locked up? Not all, but most, said Tiny Town. I ain't totally helpless. I know the KRBK Baron priests wouldn't mind chipping in if it meant getting out some of our boys, too, said Wendell. A coalition, said Tiny Town, laughing. A coalition of the willing, son? He and Wendell laughed and drank while Ara stared down the neck of his bottle, watching bubbles as they burst. Oh, look at you sulking, man. Shit, you the one who's all curious about this, said Tiny Town. He finished his beer and slung the bottle at the bin missing it by a foot. After flinching at the shattering glass, he laughed, then turned back to Aris. I'd do it, but I ain't exactly mobile. But I promise you this. You get my boys out, and I'ma be in your debt forever. You'd be down and heavy in perpetuity without having to wear the gear or get broken in again. You'd be living it. Aris sipped at his beer slowly. I'll think about it. I gotta run now, he said. Work tomorrow. Yeah, you think about it, said Tiny Town. My office stands, even if I can't. Thanks, man, said Aris. They exchanged hand insignia. Tiny Town waved Aris aside so Wendell could approach. Good meeting you, man, he said. Wendell shook his hand, then dropped a couple unfamiliar signs on top of it. Oh, that ain't none of that voodoo shit, is it? No, man, said Wendell. Protection sigil. Keep you safe. Get you healthy. Hope so, said Tiny Town. I'll send some demons from our islands after you if you don't. Wendell laughed. Just like old times, huh, Aris? said Tiny Town. Down in the old base plotting crimes. Except with some K or BK help, don't. Aris laughed as he and Wendell departed the all base. At the tea station, he and Wendell stood in a shelter, sharing smoke. Well, said Aris, what do you think? I think you heavy boys got to take better care of yourself, said Wendell. That motherfucker's in rough shape. Wendell, said Aris, come on now. 
Wendell contained his smile, nodded, then handed R.S. the cigarette. He jammed his hands in his pockets, then exhaled into the cold air. The whole thing is insane, but you knew that, Aris nodded. But he's right. Getting down there, getting visual proof of what they're doing is the best bet. Totally dangerous and crazy, but it's probably the only way to find out what's going on. Yeah, said Aris. But then you knew that already, otherwise you'd be truly pissed when I said it, right? Aris nodded. So it's really the only way. Fuck. Okay, said Aris. So how? Getting that suit is the hard part, said Wendell. He took the cigarette back from Aris, tucked it between his teeth, and continued talking around. Once you get it, then getting you down into the wormway is fairly easy. Build you a little hidey hole in that Yuki core hauler. Getting you out is going to be interesting, but shouldn't be too hard. You're forgetting something else, said Aris. What? replied Wendell. Breaking into mine farm, said Aris. Oh yeah, that, Wendell said, laughing. <laughs> That'll be kind of tough. Seriously, said Aris. He gestured for the cigarette. Wendell gave him the pack. Breaking into one of the biggest biotechnical R&D facilities in the world? Kinda tough? Yeah. Easier than getting around the wormway if you think about it, said Wendell. Don't need a stealth suit for one thing. Plus, Heavy Boys and K or BK will be working together with you. Private security won't be much of a match for us, I bet. But we'll see. Besides, the cops won't be expecting shit going down on the South Shore. Yeah, but... Aris lit a cigarette and returned the pack to Wendell. You sure your people are willing to work with Heavy Boys? It'll take some work, said Wendell. But I think I can convince them of the benefit and the necessity. You got that kind of pull, said Aris. Wendell nodded once. So what? You're some kind of big shot back in the day? Not exactly, said Wendell. Let's just say I've got lineage. That keeps some of my skin in the game. Really, said Oz. How so? My father and brother, said Wendell. Deep connect within K or BK. I wasn't too deep since Papa thought I should be the legit one. But I was in enough to know they were watching the events leading up to in the aftermath of the Big Battelle. Really, said Aris. Really, Wendell replied. The council at the Brighton Hoonfor weighed in on whether we should step in to assist, or maybe even ally with the NYC crew. You're shitting me, said Aris. Wendell frowned and shook his head. Well, they didn't, of course. NYC heavy boys were giving K or BK and the Jamaican Solid Order shit for a long time. Like decades. It wasn't a very long discussion. But they didn't come help us out either, said Aris. Wendell shrugged. Didn't see the benefit, said Wendell. Especially after shit went down. Hell, everybody was glad they weren't part of that shitstorm. I mean, can you blame them? Not really, said Aris. Exactly, said Wendell, pointing with a finger that he quickly shoved back into his pocket against the cold. Everybody ran after that. You remember? City was quiet for a long time. Cops came down on everyone who looked like they were affiliated with anything more dangerous than the Rotary Club. Aris nodded, remembering he spent that period doing his best to leave the life behind, though he still watched the news, eager for information about his fellows. Everyone who was smart laid low. But when people came out of hiding, it was clear a new king was on the throne, said Wendell. A Korean out of NYC by the name of Cho. 
Well put, said ours. Your old man and brother still in? They got busted at a cockfighting ring in Ashland. A couple priors meant they were either going to the chemical pens in the harbor or... Wendell was silent so long Aris looked at him and realized he was uncomfortable with the words he wanted to say. Mine farm? Wendell nodded. Five to ten for my brother, said Wendell, but someone ratted out my papa. That threw a couple extra pages on his jacket. Got him a few decades of sleep. Damn. So this is why you can get help from KBK, huh? said Aris. Wendell nodded. And why they're not happy with what's going down right now, either. No, said Wendell. Everybody's getting hit bad, and if the cops are in on it, then it's not getting any better. So... We break into Mine Farm, get your father and brother out, then what? Then the heavy boys have KOBK on their side for good, said Wendell. If that happens, that'll be some shit, said Ars. Putting a 75-year-old rivalry to bed? Damn. Yeah, said Wendell. You might be a hero then. Oh, no, said Ars. Don't want none of that shit. No, said Wendell. They remained quiet, smoking cigarettes until a train came. Disgorged passengers then departed. Wendell didn't speak until they heard the last footfall of the last rider departing the platform. I'd swear you were getting off on all this somehow. Nah, said Ars. I want to keep... Oh, please, said Wendell, laughing. Spare me the concerned citizen bit. You're so concerned about it, why not just go to the NTSB or Homeland Services? When Aris said nothing, Wendell laughed and handed him the cigarettes again. Thought so, he said. Bet you thought you could leave the life behind forever, huh? Stop being down and heavy and Mr. Solid Citizen. It worked for a while, said Aris. Sure it did, said Wendell. But this life is in you and me, boy. It's not something we can shuck on and off like clothes. It's in our skin, our blood, our hair. C'est tout chose. Ara smoked without speaking. Wendell snorted. I mean, I could never get out because of my family lineage. But you? You did okay on the outside for a while, huh? Aris nodded. Then something happened that gave you that itch again, right? Aris thought back to Yukikor 4291's first visit. How it coincided with the sight of Nine Knives and Tai Tai over on the T platform. And then the NYC heavy boys showing up. I love what I got now, you know, said Aris. My life was all kinds of fucked up before. Who doesn't love thinking about their wild teenage years? I was free, I had money, I didn't give a shit. I got high a lot and was an inch away from getting arrested or worse. Sure as hell wasn't all good. But now that I got the kids and Manea, I don't want to fuck that up. Of course you don't, said Wendell. She'd fucking kill you. Then her mother would bring you back to life to fucking kill you again. They both laughed. Does Menachem know about your past, said Aris. Wendell frowned, wagging his head from side to side. He knows I had fun when I was younger, but now I'm straight. Wendell grinned, <laughs> so to speak. Menachem knows Papa and my brother are away, but not exactly why. Doesn't care, he says. How would he take it if you start banging again, said Aris. I ain't banging again, said Wendell. And neither are you. We're just facilitating a tricky situation for some interested parties. Nicely put, said Aris, laughing. You changed your tune from a while back. Shit's bigger than that now, said Wendell. And if it means that I got my father and brother out, then I'm good with that. What are you going to do with them, said Aris. Can't exactly put that in the family Christmas letter, can you? 
No, said Wendell. Sure can't. We'll figure something out. Probably get them to Miami or Haiti. Safer there. They can lay low. Most of my family's down south anyway. Aris nodded. They watched another train stop, then depart. So, said Aris. Honestly, how are we going to do this? Don't know, said Wendell. I'm going to sleep on it for one thing. I'll talk to some people. Let you know. All right, said Aris. Another train approached. Looks like this might be the last one. Get home to your family, boss, said Wendell. They shook hands. You too, said Aris. Wendell boarded the train while Aris walked to the exit, opting to walk home. That's episode 14. A lot of planning, a lot of scanning, a lot of deviations, a lot of, uh, you know, schemes planning and coming into works. A uh, good long one, too. I'm, I'm liking that we're getting into these long ones. They're a little more fun to do. Um, hope you're enjoying it. As always, keep listening. As always, too, the music is by me. Maybe it's my cathode ray tube uh, uh, acronym or alter ego. Maybe it's my um, uh, Britney Sparse one. Who knows? But the music's all me. Um, hoping to get some guest uh, readers in in the next couple of uh, uh, weeks, you know, um, or some guest music in too. We'll see. At any rate, uh, thanks for listening. Keep on listening, and we'll be back next uh, week, hopefully, with episode 15 of Tribal Malfunctions. Zip it in, zip it out, and as always, namaste. Namaste.